Little T Trauma, a limited series podcast by Lycasting. Hey, Laura. Hey, Krista. Good to see you. <laughs> Good to see you. How was your holiday this, this past uh, Christmas? It was busy. <laughs> Lots of busy vibes, but yeah, it was good. It's nice. How about you? Yeah, very busy as well. I feel like January came before I expected it and I was not prepared and I didn't want to go back to work this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's taken some readjustments, right? Getting back into the rhythm. Yeah, and I was like telling uh, my partner when I was going back to work this week, it was like, I need to figure out when I'm going to take my next day off. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like the first week in January is like the free trial of the month. And then we like, go, okay, let's get serious mm-hmm. about this. Let's take, let's take this serious. But also I think there's always been that whole thing of like new year, new me. And like, let's hit the ground running with all of our, you know, new behaviors and all of that. But really we're, well, over in England, at least we're still in winter. So it's kind of like, it doesn't really go hand in hand with <laughs> this fresh start and this mm-hmm. fresh, fresh burst of energy. Um, so these, these days I like to take January a little bit slower. I, I took it on this year. Uh, I saw it towards the end of last year, which is like this motto new year, same me, because towards (laughs) the end of the year, I don't know if you saw on everyone's social media, there was like this push about people saying like, we don't have to do a highlight reel for 2023. Like we can just exist as we are. There's no pressure to remind the world what we did. We can go into the new year without any resolutions and just be ourselves. And I really loved seeing that on social media this time around. And I was like, yes, that's it. New year, same me. That's what I'm going with. (laughs) Because you're fabulous. So why change? (laughs) I also saw this thing thing going around that was like, um, have you noticed no one's like 2024 is my year? Like in the past, it's always been like, blah, blah, blah. It's my year. This is going to be my year. And it's like, <laughs> nobody does that anymore. <laughs> We've all accepted that no. years are full of all kinds of things. We just got to embrace it all. Yeah. I also saw like a really big theme around just how much our cultural mind shift has changed since COVID. Like COVID Mm -hmm. was such a game changer for everybody's like reevaluating their priorities, how much they want to give to their work-life balance. And I feel like it's been so interesting these last three years, and I think it'll continue on into 2024. People really, I think, focusing on, you know, living as a human being as instead of like working to live, you know, doing the other, you know, the inverse of that which I think yeah, is what definitely. we're here to do anyways, you know, our lives totally. are meant to be enjoyed. Definitely mm-hmm. a shift in priorities for sure. Okay. So yeah. today's episode, today's juicy little tea, <laughs> little tea trauma, handing over to you. So you've got a good one for us. Yeah. It's, um, it's an interesting one. It's, it's a, I think a, a good example of little tea traumas that, you know, can trip us up mm-hmm. and build a story in our minds and get us in our head. Um, and take us into the next place. But my little tea trauma that we were going to talk about today is kind of a funny one. Laura and I have been sending each other memes back and forth. So when we release this episode, we'll also probably release these memes that we've been collecting for this episode. Um, I was in a relationship uh, around my early 30s with a gentleman, and we moved in together, uh, you know, at one point. And he always used to get mad at me for (laughs) falling asleep when we were when it was like the end of the night and we were like winding down the night to watch tv after dinner you know just a just a the ritual I think that every 
household has at the night. And I have this thing where like, uh, I have basically every single hour of my life allocated, like I am probably an overly productive person by nature, that I am continuing to work on this as as a thing aside from, you know, just (laughs) everything else. But it's something that is really deeply ingrained to me to be very productive and and using my time all the time. So using my time wisely, basically, and, and to be productive. So by the time night comes, like my body finally gets to relax. And if I stop moving, I'm immediately tired and I'm immediately fall, falling asleep. This is just who I've been my entire, entire life. And also I've always been an early bird. I've never been an, a night owl. So I think my general circadian rhythm in and, in and of itself lends to that I'm going to start getting tired earlier in the night than most people if they're night owls. So we were a mismatch like that because he was a night owl. He'd go to bed at like, you know, anywhere between midnight and two o'clock in the morning, which I was not going to be doing that. <laughs> but it it started to build in me this like, I I would make it sound akin to like, when you're training a dog, sometimes people do like the English leads or they do like a clicker or sometimes more aggressively people will like zap the dogs. It started to become this like verbal course correction. Every time I would fall asleep, he would sort of like get angry at me and it would start to startle me as like a person. Right. And it started to make me feel scared (laughs) to like fall asleep. And one time um, we were visiting his parents and I fell asleep in the living room late at night when everyone was like watching the news. And his mom just like yelled at me and was like, go to bed. If you're going to fall asleep, go to bed. And it was just like the strangest thing. And after that relationship, I carried that, you know, for the longest time. And I was so afraid to basically fall asleep with my partners because he had sort of trained this thing in me to like, don't fall asleep, don't fall asleep. And I used to feel a lot of shame about that. I think for the listeners, it's also important (laughs) for them to have awareness that when Krista said this story that she was going to share with us today, I was like, oh, it's a bit orcs <laughs> because I'd also done the same thing to a previous partner of like, don't fall asleep. If you're going to fall asleep, go to bed. Um, so this is a, a juicy one. Okay. So you were in your early thirties and getting reprimanded for having the audacity to <laughs> fall asleep. Were you also one of those people that fell asleep on like public transport sometimes? No, no. definitely don't. Do <laughs> so I'm always like, how do people do that? <laughs> how the hell can you do that? Um, okay. What kind of, when you were getting startled, like you said, obviously that shame came up, right? So what was the story that was going on behind that when you were kind of in that experience of being told off for falling asleep? Like how, what was going on internally for you? Yeah, I think the, the shame was because there was a reprimand, there was like a punitive sort of uh, action that was taken where Mm -hmm. your, your partner's is basically scolding you like a parent, right? I yeah. that immediately for whatever reason when you get scolded, I and I don't think it necessarily has to be with your partner, but when you get scolded in life by people or adults or people that you're not familiar with that you don't have that dynamic, sometimes it can feel like that parental role. So the shame came up a, a lot about like, you know, even when I was little, I would fall asleep early as well and my mom would like yell at me about falling asleep too mm-hmm. early because I didn't finish like the dishes or something. And I just always thought like, I just can't help it. Like, this is, this is my body. I'm trying to listen to my body. This is who I am. And the shame was like, I felt embarrassed that I couldn't stay awake. And through, you know, towards the end of our relationship, I was 
um, like I told you, I was like forcing myself to try to stay awake. I would do these like weird things where I'd like try to pinch myself to stay awake because I didn't want the reprimand. So I was like forcing myself to stay up later to just get through it. And I think from his perspective, like there were two things happening, which you and I talked about offline is, you know, in his family, common spaces are not places where people would fall asleep. Like that was a rule that I learned culturally they had in their family. Whereas in my family, that was not the case. And then the second thing is that he was looking for that connection. Like you, you were in your relationship as well. And the disconnection, if I'm asleep, isn't there. Whereas I was sort of coming from it from a different perspective saying, well, if at least I'm here and I'm snuggling next to you on the couch, we're still together as opposed to me being upstairs and you're down here alone without me. How did he respond at the time when you had those conversations? He tried to understand. And I think the other thing, the other kind of weird, I would say, variable to the whole situation is he was a night owl and he had trouble sleeping. And I swear to God, what it really was about was the fact that I could fall asleep so easily. (laughs) (laughs) he's like if I'm not getting any sleep you're not either (laughs) (laughs) because I think we've all been there that brings back like memories for me of like that little bit of not I don't know if spite's the right word but you know that kind of like like, (laughs) little bit of spite (laughs) that I've like now processed out of myself but I I remember that I do remember that that dynamic (laughs) when you had that moment of his mother like having the audacity to reprimand you Did anyone stick up for you in that situation or were they all just like, you're on your own, get out of here? No, because that's traumatic. Yeah, they just, they all looked horrified. And also because at that point, no one had noticed I had fallen asleep except for her. So that was, (laughs) that was like, it's just like being called out. I know a lot of us have had that in other situations, not in falling asleep. I think that's the other part. It's the punitive and it's the calling out, right? But I think, so so it was just like oh, it was such an annoying, awkward time in my life. And then going into my other relationships, like I used to fear like sitting down on the couch with somebody late at night in a new relationship because I, I was just like, are they are they going to have the same reaction? Because it again, like this this like reprimand becomes a condition. Like this is how we condition ourselves <laughs> through the yeah. through the things that other people tell us if we're not strong in ourselves or strong in our core, you know, and I didn't at the time, I I was not in a place where I had the language or the tools to explain to him what I'm explaining to the listening audience right now. You know, I I could have stuck up for myself better, but I didn't really understand how to do that at that time. That reprimand and feeling scared to do that with anyone else was real for, you know, probably a good like five, six years until I met, you know, my current partner who doesn't care. Yeah, <laughs> bless. I was going to say as well, like it's interesting because in that situation, right, it's a projection of, say, like the the mother to not have any compassion or curiosity as to like, hey, are you okay? <laughs> like, you know, this this person's just fallen asleep. Like, are you okay? Do you need to go upstairs? But instead of having that compassion and curiosity, like just having that projection of like, that's not okay and you've done something wrong, like without even seeking to understand that can be quite a common thing that goes off too, right? It's funny because my partner, he, he has kids and they, they're all in their early adulthood and they fall asleep everywhere all the time when they're here. I don't think anything bad of it. It's just like they're just listening to their bodies they're, and they're growing yeah. and they're wild and they want to nap all the time. And that wasn't the case for me, but it's the miscommunication of compassion 
is real. And I think they just felt it was like very disrespectful. And I get that. I get that, you know, every family has their own way of being in their home. We talked about it uh, briefly, those invisible contracts, you know, that we have in our family systems or in our partnerships. Like that was an invisible contract in that family that I was not aware of that I learned very quickly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You didn't read the terms and conditions before you signed up to that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so how did you heal this? Yeah, I mean, I think it wasn't really until I met my current partner, because I was so scared for so long. And it's, it's funny, because when I talk about the conditioning of getting into that space where you start to feel the shame and fear about falling asleep, the inverse of the healing has happened by having the same experience over and over, not being reprimanded and being welcomed to fall asleep or have him having that compassion with me. And he does this thing that I just think is so sweet. He will not fall asleep until I fall asleep. So for whatever reason, that's been how he's been since we've, we started dating. It's the sweetest. Yeah. And when we're on the couch and I fall asleep and I always fall asleep, like kind of right here in his, his, under his shoulder blade. And he said, there's something so comforting about you laying on the couch and being on my shoulder. And I know you're asleep and there's something very comforting to me about it. And um, again, like having that experience with my current partner over again, over and over again. And like, I did not tell him any of this. I didn't tell him that I had this like weird thing that, you know, this is all very interesting of how, like, I think the synchronicity of how things, how healing can go sometimes. We find partnerships and friendships and relationships that are the antidote for the thing that we need. And I think in this case, you know, it's not, this is not a major thing. This is definitely a little T trauma, but it's, it has healed it, but I couldn't do it on my own because, you know, I was just myself, but having those positive experiences over and over again, rewiring those neural pathways in myself that remove the shame, the guilt, the fear that healed it all basically in the last few years. So I'm super grateful that my partner's like that now. Yes. Love that for you. And also I think it's, it just highlights, right? Like if you are in a relationship currently and there's something that's not working or that's a bit of an incompatibility or something that's making, you know, you feel uncomfortable, like there is an upgrade out there, right? There is a compatible person out there for you. And if you open yourself up to it, then you get to, you know, experience that and enjoy that rather than staying in situations that are not working for mm-hmm. us on some level, but kind of telling ourselves like, oh, well, you know, we've just got to make do, or we're not going to find someone who does things differently. Not to say that people can't change, right? But if you've had those conversations and that pattern is repeating and there is no change and in how that person's showing up in the relationship dynamic, then there is the perfect partner out there. Yeah. And I think there's also like underneath all of that too is like, and something you and I have talked a lot about in relationships is just like the, the baseline of safety, right? It seems really simple and it seems really obvious, right? Like that we would need safety in our relationship and safety in our relationship looks really different for kind of everybody. So that, that example that I'm sharing with everybody, that would be an element of safety that I would need to feel comfortable with my partner that I didn't know to ask for way back when, right? But through experience and lived experience and my new partner who actually could not give a shit if I fell asleep on his, on, on the couch or wherever, right? He just doesn't give a shit. He but welcomes it. <laughs> it's, it's knowing that 
Right. But it's also like knowing that he doesn't care allows me to feel safe to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that safety of a, a secure partner, right? So the safety of someone who can see your needs and respond to your needs and be available to your needs as well as their own, rather than a partner that's like threatened by you taking up a need or like then taking something personally that's never been intended to be personal super important in terms of safety right that secure base right i think that goes back to the spot the spite thing that you were saying like the spite thing <laughs> is personal right my old partner was taking it personal if he had just if he had just maybe talked to me about it or you know not taking it personal and realized like maybe i am tired maybe i've been moving since 5 a.m this morning and i haven't stopped there was no curiosity there was no soft inquiry about what was going on with me like what you said not taking it personal I think in anything is like you know obviously one of the four agreements but like really really important in how we interact with our relationships and partnerships yeah do you want to just expand on the four agreements for the listeners that might not have heard of the fabulous four (laughs) oh my gosh the four agreements if you have not picked up that book (laughs) yeah I don't know the the order but I do I believe I do remember them all but basically so it's a it's a Toltec wisdom from um Don Miguel Ruiz who is a shamanic healer um based his family was based in Mexico um he's written a ton of books but the four agreements is basically this this sort of I would say a, a, a mantra and a set of values that we would want to imbue and embody in us to be able to connect with the world from like a very self-aware and kind place. And so not taking anything personal is one of the agreements and allows us to remove any projections, any biases, any, you know, I would say unfiltered emotions that don't match the situation. The other one is being impeccable with your words. And that one's really good too. Um, because if we are intentionally communicating with people, we don't, you know, hurt them with our words. We don't injure them unnecessarily with what we have to say. Cause when we're close to people too, and I'm sure you know this a lot from the relationship work you do, oftentimes we know which buttons to push in our mirrors and what to say that's going to really like get them in the jugular. So being impeccable in your word, that's super important. Okay. So the third one is don't make assumptions. And the fourth, the fourth uh, one is always do your best. Don't make assumptions is great. That's a big part of the work I do with clients. Yeah, that too, one's huge. The hidden assumptions that we have, because they're, they're often so unconscious that we don't even registers them as a thing that is literally filtering our whole experience well and I think the doing the best like I when I got into therapy um after I got out of my divorce my therapist she is like like oodles and oodles of compassion (laughs) and she used to always frame up situations when I was having conflict in my relationships like do you think that person was doing the best they could And it always somehow settled me in myself and made me realize I'm number one, I'm having too many assumptions about how this person should be showing up in this conflict or this situation with more tools. I was really being hard on other people, you know, back then and making all these assumptions about their side of things. And really people are doing the best they can, even if we don't interpret it that way. And I think that's a really big part of those agreements that is important to really take on as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's um, the saying, right, of 
do your best until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, when we look back right at these past experiences, these past little teas, because at that time we were doing the best we could too, right? With our knowledge of the situation and, and what, you know, our level of awareness and growth at the time. But then when we look back from obviously a more you know healed perspective, a more rounded perspective, and we think, God, like, you know, there's certain things I've experienced that I think, God, I'd never tolerate that now, right? Or I would respond to this thing completely different. How would you respond today do you think if you encountered a similar situation well i was very conflict averse at the time now i i i really am a lot better in conflict as well and conflict is also not just something that's like wild and loud and and you know voracious or anything like that but if 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 i had all the tools i have now and i could go back to that situation i would have advocated for myself and i would have said to to my partner at that time I would have used all my ice, all of my ice statements. So I would have said, when you get mad at me for falling asleep on the couch, I feel a lot of shame about that. And I feel like I'm disappointing you because I cannot stay awake, but I'm physically tired, you know? And I would say to him, like, I, I am naturally somebody who falls asleep early. I would tell him everything I just said to the audience right now and see if there was some sort of compromise where we could agree that if I'm starting to feel tired, could I go upstairs or would he be okay with me staying downstairs to watch TV with him? Because I think ultimately what we, what I didn't say back there and what we didn't talk about either is it's possible there was an unmet need for him as well, right? That wasn't being expressed at the time because he was obviously frustrated about me falling asleep but it probably wasn't about me falling asleep. It was probably about either connection or, you know, just wanting to have quality time, which is like a love language for a lot of people. And that's interfering with that. And again, I would have approached it from like a self-advocacy and a self-led space to, to advocate for myself, take my I statements on and then check with him if there is anything unmet underneath his frustration. And the I statements as well like the form of nonviolent communication are really good for not triggering the other person's defenses, right? Because when you're just being almost, you know, that vulnerable space you're stepping into when you're saying, this is how I feel without that filter. Because I think, again, when it comes to relationships, that's quite challenging for some people to actually say, because we all kind of have a little bit of a mask on sometimes, right? We're the self-preservation. And even though we want intimacy, like we do have a lot of barriers against it a lot of the time. You're the expert on this, but thinking about relationships in terms of compatibility, there were yellow flags of incompatibility. They're not deal breakers, but they are things that long term were not going to work, which was the sleeping habits that we had because our clocks were off. And I've, I've only dated two morning people in my life. <laughs> which is my current partner and another one. It seems like a weird, simple thing to be compatible about, but it's made such the huge difference in my relationship because our clocks are kind of synced. So whenever we're together, we're traveling, our bodies get us up at the same time. We have a lot of energy at the beginning of the day and we sort of start tapering off towards the end of the day. And that synchronicity of habits for some reason helps with deepen our intimacy and our compatibility. And again, it seems really strange, 
that that would be something that's really important. It's not something I would have said like years ago, I'm outwardly looking for somebody who's a morning person. I kind of just looked for whatever the cards gave me. I don't know if you have anything to say about that compatibility as well. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, as I've gotten older and the work that I've done, you realize how important compatibility is, right? So certainly in my 20s, I was more led by like attraction and chemistry and excitement. And then like, okay, obviously we want some similar interests, but now it's literally like without compatibility, it's going to fall flat on its face, right? It's not going to be a long-term relationship. and it, Or if it is, it's not necessarily going to be a fulfilling long-term relationship for both parties, right? Because compatibility really is everything. And, you know, especially like we've spoken about in terms of the safety and security first, right? Like you need, and in order to have that, you need communication. You need people that can communicate without getting triggered and having their defences up or projecting or being spiteful about certain things. Like you need that base level of two humans being human and being willing to have those uncomfortable conversations and being willing to let down some of their barriers right and let people in and have those vulnerable conversations because without that you're not going to get very far (laughs) no well and I always tell my current partner right now that I feel like he got the best version of me because I have done all of this work up until this point and I've learned I think and you have too in your life journey that we talk about all the time like you if you're invested in personal development in healing and you're doing this work and you are getting better and you are being able to apply all of that, all those lessons and that wisdom. And I just have, I just have such a different approach to my relationships now than I did 10 years ago because of all of the work I've done, because of all the healing I've done, because of all of the things I've let go of as well. When you come to a relationship, when you're younger, you do have different expectations about what it looks like. And I, and I think, you know, it's not just, um, I mean, I think my partner's really attractive too. So it's that, that still has to be there. I don't think that's, yeah, I think that always has to be there regardless, (laughs) but there's definitely like the sort of the non-negotiables really change and shift. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, absolutely. I'm a big advocate too for like, it's not either or, right. It's, and right. Like attraction and chemistry and compatibility. Like you don't have to trade off one for the other, But what you do have to do is recognise that the ones that don't have the compatibility and that just have the insane chemistry or the insane attraction, but they don't have the, you know, the the foundation to carry that any further. I think as we get older and we've, you know, done more personal development and, and work on ourselves and by through that process, getting to know ourselves on that deeper level. We're no longer willing to make those self sacrifices, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I think definitely in my earlier years of dating, I was way more prepared to abandon parts of myself and to not advocate for myself in order to get that need met that I thought at the time was like the attractive partner or, you know, the, the chemistry and that feeling that it gave, right? Whereas now it's like, no, I'd rather be single forever than get myself in a situation where I'm abandoning myself or like minimizing my needs or in a situation where I don't feel safe to self-advocate because at the end of the day like when you've been through that experience you learn the value of it right you know how hard it can be to come back from those places where you've been doing that for a long time and lost that connection to self it's a real yeah journey yeah that's huge that's that's an enormous one the self-abandoning and it's like when when you do that in a relationship, giving up a part of yourself 
I think most people's intention, it's like for the greater good of like the relationship surviving. But when you deny and abandon those parts, inevitably it becomes like an imbalance. And then it will turn up as like resentments or needs, needs not being met. And it can fester really negatively. And it, and it is hard in our society as women. And I have such a soft spot for women because culturally we have not been given the same, I would say, flight path as men. So asking for what we want, being vocal about it and confident and self-assured to not abandon ourselves it is is out of the ordinary because society has asked us for a long time be submissive be the be the one that's of service to your family to your partners your needs come last and going against that conditioning in and of itself as a woman like is a huge 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 thing and like if you're doing that in your relationships like we absolutely applaud you for doing that i agree completely all about self-advocating and feeling safe to do so and yeah compatible relationships all the way the other thing i was going to say as well is just in terms of compatibility it's not saying that like there's going to be that absolute perfect person who is compatible on every single level and like there's never any kind of challenge because we need challenge in a relationship to grow too right it's more so just saying that it's going to be a healthy challenge versus yeah. a challenge that requires us to self-abandon in any kind of way. And that you guys can address the challenge together. I feel like that's what I see in my relationship now, which again is like light years ahead of any relationship I've ever had, is that we come to it as a team. So like whatever the challenges are, whether they arise from my side, his side, we are deciding together, like we're going to climb this mountain and it's, it could be tough, but we're going to try to get through it somehow. That's important. Like if you can find a partner, I think, and, and it's not, it's, it's evolving. Like, you know, we, yeah. we don't start to climb that mountain mountain early on in the relationship. It's also yeah. trial and error. Absolutely. And it's willingness, right? So, cause I've worked with people in the past and they're like, oh, you know, say for example, my love language is this and my partner's polar opposite. Like, does that mean we're completely incompatible? And it's like, no, as long as both parties have a willingness to work together, to learn right. each other's needs and to have that willingness to meet each other's needs in ways that work for both people, right? So it doesn't have to be mm -hmm. 100% straight line compatibility. It just needs to be workable. I'll just say this one last thing about the love languages too, because I think I had a very binary view of it as well. Like if the person is like not the top three is like, is it not going to work? But I also think that it lends to a lot of mindfulness and intention in our relationships. If we don't have the similar love languages to your point, right? Because it requires you to pay attention. And, yeah. you know, we talked, we talked, I think, um, in our last episode about our best friends, Brene Brown, Gabor Mate, <laughs> um, and Dr. Gottman. So Dr. Gottman talks about like mapping your partner's love landscape, their life landscape or whatever. It requires us to show up intentionally and mindfully when those love languages don't match, because it's, it is a little, there is like, it's not necessarily harder. It just creates more intention. Whereas like, if you have someone where your love languages match, cause I've had both and I know you have too. It is, it is, feels a bit, a bit easier when your love languages match, when they don't match all the way, it just requires more intention and mindfulness in the relationship, which is never a bad thing. Absolutely. Because all relationships take work. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, well, we can leave it there for today. Uh, I think we've got a lot of good points here. And I think we will also link some tools and some books and some relationship things. Um, I'm sure Laura's got some. I've got a few handful of books. There's one back here that's really great, too. The, the Two Truths About Love. This is a really good book to read if you're in a relationship. Yes. It was written by this Buddhist monk. Um, Jason Fisher. So I'll link that one and a couple other books and then get some other resources from Laura for this episode. And then just as a reminder to everyone listening and watching wherever you are in the world, we really want to start incorporating questions about your little tea trauma. So you can email us at littleteatraumapodcast at gmail.com. We'll put it in the show notes. And then hopefully in our third, fourth, fifth, sixth episode, we'll be able to address those at the end of the shows because we want to make this interactive and useful and beneficial to you guys watching as well. So Laura, handing it over to you if you have anything else to say. Nope. I'm just excited to see some of the listeners' little tea traumas coming in as well because I think that'd be really great to be able to read some of those and talk about some of those as well. Perfect. Well, I had a great time with you today and I'll see you at our next episode. As always, perfect. Thank you for listening. If you have a little T trauma you'd like Laura and Krista to help you with, send it to littleteatraumapodcast at gmail to have it featured on the show. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow Little T Trauma on the Lightcasting YouTube channel. Little T Trauma is a Lightcasting production. Music by Score Wizards. Editing, directing, and post-production by Krista Ziomata. Lead vocals by Laura Forbes and Krista Ziomata. 